Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my finest friends. Welcome to the 14th episode of Season 6 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I am still your host, Kevin Brown. Uh, this is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. I'm writing this during what I'm hoping is the last day of isolation with the dreaded COVID. I assume that most of you have probably already had a bout of it at least once, and I know I've been fortunate in surviving this long without being hit by it. Um, I also had a relatively mild bout, I, I think. You know, really awful congestion, headache, and fatigue the first day. Congestion and fatigue gradually lessening over the next five, but with a really, really sore throat, like I'd swallowed a bunch of razor blades. And I've had lots of sort of tonsils, strep, throat issues periodically in my life, but that's definitely the most discomfort I've ever been in with a throat issue. And you can still hear it in my voice. I'm recording both um, episode 13 and 14 on the same night, getting ahead of things. Um, if I can imagine that. And I'm much improved now. I mean, two days in, I sounded like a constipated toad on 40 Marlboro a day. So trust me, this would be an improvement. As I was whiling away the countless hours in isolation, though, I got to thinking about how really damn lucky I am that I've had my vaccination and my boosters. I've got no major underlying health issues that could complicate COVID for me. And I have a warm house to hold up in with a laptop, a guitar, books, music uh, to keep me company. Um, my kids looking after me, bringing me food, all that kind of stuff. Um, also, I have a job where taking time off to recover isn't a problem. So I guess it just made me feel thankful for what I have and for the company I'm able to keep, even remotely during times like this. Um, I try to never take those things for granted. And this past week has been a good reminder that while I've worked really hard to reach the position in life that I find myself in, I've also been very lucky in many ways. So to anyone out there who's having a hard time with things, you know, just keep pushing ahead. I'm, I'm sure things will get better. Anyway, enough maudlin slush from me. You came here to listen to me talk about Tom Petty, not half-baked introspective nonsense. And I put an exclamation mark after that sentence in the script. Uh, today's episode covers the last track from Southern Accents, the best of everything. <laughs> expect the name Robert De Niro to come up in a conversation about a Tom Petty song, but the song's place on Southern Accents probably owes a little to the 1982 Scorsese movie The King of Comedy that De Niro starred in. The song was originally written and recorded for Hard Promises, but it didn't fit with the album, and in conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, I'm glad we didn't use it because I think it was a much better record after Robbie Robertson got a hold of it. Robbie Robertson becomes the link now between The King of Comedy and The Best of Everything. Robertson was the musical director for the movie. He approached Tom to see if he had a song that he could use for the movie, and this is the song that Tom suggested. After hearing the song, Robertson asked, do you mind if I add some horns? And Tom, being a big fan of the band and the way they used horns in their songs, of course, said yes. Oh, I should explain too, for those who aren't aware, that's the band, the band. You know, the ones who backed Dylan in the 60s when he went electric. The guys who did The Wait and The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Anyway, look... Robertson takes the song, and he gives it a production overhaul, adding a full horn section as well as additional backing vocals by the band's Richard Manuel, who tragically took his own life in March of 1986. Tom tells Paul Zolo, He was one of my favourite singers, but I wasn't there when he did it. Robbie did that. When asked if he liked how their voices sounded, Tom replied, Oh, it was a dream come true. I really looked up to him as a singer. I'm kind of glad I wasn't there because I might have screwed it up. And this is a great reminder that even our heroes have their own heroes, and a certain amount of trepidation about working with them sometimes. 
Of course, that would all be blown out of the water in the very near future for Tom, but that's another story for another day. I suspect the song also wasn't included on Long After Dark, you know, probably because of the horns and how different they would have sounded to the rest of the album. And I'd love to hear the original version that was recorded for Hard Promises. There is an alternate take included on American Treasure, but it retains the majority of Robertson's additions, while also including the extra verse that Robertson removed for the version that ended up included in the movie. Finally finding a home on the end of Southern Accents makes much more sonic sense, and it's a good album closer, in the vein of Louisiana Rain, with which it shares some similarities in terms of chord progression and structure. Maybe another reason to leave it off the album following Down the Torpedoes, so it's not too samey-samey. Interestingly, the song didn't actually make it onto the soundtrack to the movie, due to a dispute between Warner Brothers, who were releasing the soundtrack album for the film, and Backstreet slash MCA, who the Heartbreakers were under contract to at the time. The song opens with a very delicate, arpeggiated keyboard and piano lead over top of a gentle, ride cymbal percussive beat. The horn comes in to add a little flourish early on, and I suspect it's a probably a French horn. I thought a trombone maybe at first, but it definitely isn't. It's like it's a French horn or a flugelhorn or something like that. Um, at least that's what I think from the tone. Straight away, one of the things I like about this song is that the first verse doesn't start in the root key, which is G. Instead, it moves up to the fourth note, a C chord, as the first bar of the verse comes in before dropping back down to the G. There's some bass too in this intro, but it's mixed way, way down low so the keyboards can take center stage. As the song moves through the first half of the verse with this very stripped down arrangement, there's a slight build into the second half. Here we get a single kick drum beat from Stan and some tambourine added in, presumably by Jim Keltner, who is credited with adding percussion on this track. There's also another keyboard part, which sounds like a really trebly organ track, and I'm going to go out on a limb to guess that this was added by the band's Garth Hudson um, in the studio by Robertson after the fact during those sessions. And it just fills out the space a little more and adds the gentle build into the chorus. Stan's rattling snare then slaps a very simple fill into the chorus and we hear the full band come in. Worth noting that as well as production from Robbie Robertson, the addition of several members of the band, though curiously not Robertson himself, as well as Jim Keltner, there's one player who wasn't part of the Heartbreakers at the time of the album's release, Ron Blair, who's laying down the bass. It makes sense once you realise that the song was written in 1980, at the latest, uh, before Ron had left full-time. And one of the things that jumps right out at me as the first chorus starts is how good the drums and the bass sound. You can tell it's a different production style immediately, as that rhythm section is really present and really strong. It just sounds so much fuller than the rest of the album. It also sounds really joyful and at ease. It's not a tone filled with conflict or regret or danger. Throughout this first verse-chorus pair, and it's a long verse and a shorter chorus, Tom is in his crooner mode, not really leaning hard into any of his characters or different voicings. Like Insider, it's Tom singing with his most natural voice. He's painting a character, but letting the words rather than his voice evoke the imagery. You can really hear Richard Manuel's harmonies on lines like In the World, too. And it's such a distinctly different voice from Howie's, and again, a really good match with Tom's. We're a minute and a half into the song now, and head straight into a solo after that first chorus. Both Tom and Mike are credited with playing guitar on this one, but it's most definitely Mike playing the solo. And that initial lick really, really reminds me of something George Harrison would play, with the slide doing, you know, very minimal work, but layering a soulful lead over the minor key changes. It just has that warm, cosy feeling that George could drop into a song when it was needed. You know, think about the slide melody he plays on My Sweet Lord, and you can hear echoes of it in Mike's note selection on this one. You can also hear the other guitar just following the chord progression, playing big open chords, slightly into the left channel, but the sonic space is really, really dominated by those horns, with the guitar cutting through. Everything then drops out, leaving that arpeggiated keyboard again, with the addition of that other keyboard part, I think, that was added afterward. 
You also get some panned percussion with tambourine hits in the left channel and some side stick on the snare in the right, with that ride cymbal tapping away lightly behind it. There's not a ton of panning in this song uh, to this point, and but it just in this section it gives it a sense of width uh, to drop back into after the wall of sound approach from the chorus. In the second half of the verse, the harmonies are brought back in, along with the horns adding fills, and Stan now playing around the kick and snare a little more. This brings us back into the big chorus again. The chorus repeats once before everything is dropped away to leave the twin vocals of Tom and Richard singing Whatever You Were. And then we hear again the bass, the drums and the keys before a nice tight rock finish. No fade, no extended outro, just a really, really clean ending to the track. It's time for some petty trivia. Your question from last week was this. What is the title of the Winslow Homer painting that is used as the cover for the Southern Accents album? Is it A, The Veteran in a New Field, B, Reaper, C, From Field to Table, or D, The Work of the Honest Man? The answer is A, The Veteran in a New Field. Born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1821, Winslow Homer was an American landscape painter and illustrator best known for his marine subjects, he is considered one of the foremost painters in 19th century America and a preeminent figure in American art. Set in the aftermath of the Civil War, the painting is often interpreted as an emblem of post-bellum American society. The painting depicts a farmer harvesting wheat in a field with a scythe. The farmer in the painting is identified as a former Union soldier from his discarded jacket and canteen in the right foreground of the painting. So, it's a very interesting choice of artwork for an album that was initially conceived as a love letter to the South. I'd love to know how much input Tom had into the selection of the artwork, and I'll dig around online, maybe I'll ask Dana, uh, to see if I can figure out who did the album design and see if there's any way to contact them. And if it is a conscious selection of a Union soldier, you know, depicted after the war tending his crops, it would undercut some of the accusations of Tom showing support for the lost cause or for those elements of the South, like the Confederate flag that he would go on to strongly distance himself from later. And I've been throwing out some fairly tricky ones lately, so, and again, for my friend Will Porteous, here's a bit of an easy one for you, mate. Um, I thought I'd lay up a soft one for all of you to dunk. If you listen to all the episodes in this season, you'll definitely know this one. So, your question for this week is this. Which legendary artist covered the title track from Southern Accents in 1996? Was it A, Waylon Jennings? B, Willie Nelson? C, Johnny Cash? Or D, Chris Christopherson? Okay, back to the song. Lyrically, this one's basically a story song, really, right? Uh, it's another brilliant Tom Petty opener. She probably works in a restaurant. That's what her mama did. So that small town feel that he goes through now and again without really fleshing out all the parts of it. We get the sense that this is a fleeting situation, maybe an overheard conversation in a diner or just an observation of someone the narrator knows peripherally because we learn in the next couplet that sometimes she used to sing as he ventures, maybe she sings in a nightclub. So it's that faraway, dreamy recollection that we're dropped into where the picture is just very slightly out of focus and we can't quite make out what's happening. No matter, whatever the deal is for this girl, the chorus shows that the narrator really hopes that it all works out. Wherever you are tonight, I wish you the best of everything in the world and I hope you found whatever you were looking for. Such a beautiful, generous sentiment and not one that's undercut with any darkness 
or any conditions, just a very real sense of wishing someone well. The second verse becomes a little more personal, and at the same time a little more nebulous. The first half is more pondering on the nature of life itself, and contains one of those top-shelf petty gems. Yeah, the bad nights take forever, and the good nights don't ever seem to last. Again, that would be the hook for most people in this song. If I'd written that line, I'd have tried to form the whole song around it and get it repeated. You know, it probably would have been the chorus. But here, Tom just throws it into a second verse like it's no big deal. We also hear the narrator reminisce about a past relationship that either failed or just ran its course. There's no bitterness or sadness in it. He sings, Man, we never had the real thing, but sometimes we used to kiss, back when we didn't understand what we were caught up in. It almost has that nostalgic glow cast from a first love. That naivety of youth where you don't recognise that something is special or that you'll one day think back on it with you know, great fondness. And again, despite not grabbing onto this experience with both hands, the narrator simply wishes the person in the other half of the story the best of everything. So gentle and so loving. Okay, Pettyheads, that's all for this week. I love the sentiment and the tone of this track a ton. After what I always think of as the the kind of the banality of Mary's new car, this one finishes the album by wrapping you in a warm blanket and rocking you to sleep with a lullaby. You can sort of see why Tom thought of this song for Robbie Robertson, and with the addition of several of the band, plus that horn section, you really do get an early 70s band vibe from the track. It's a wonderfully poignant lyric without being schmaltzy or trite, and the four minutes clip along and are over before you know it. Tom tells Paul Zolo that Robertson actually cut a verse because it was, to quote, superfluous. He also says, it may be one of the best songs I ever wrote. It's a really good song and he really did it justice. Tom wasn't allowed in the studio while Robertson was working on it, as he wanted Tom to hear the final thing as a whole, rather than in progress, and told Tom, stay away until I'm done, and then if you don't like it, we'll change it. And Tom says, and I didn't change a note. If there's one thing I'd change, it would be that horn line in the intro that's repeated at that part of the song, you know, a couple more times. Again, I don't overly dislike it. I just think it's the only part of the song that feels a little, well, to quote Tom, a little superfluous. I think that section is so sort of simple and enjoyable that it doesn't need that accent necessarily. But it's, you know, hey, it's not a bad thing. Again, this I'm, I'm really splitting hairs and looking for something to sort of pick, pick apart here. Um, I wouldn't put this on the top shelf with Tom's very best. And obviously, Tom would be connected to this song in a completely different way because of the people who ended up working on it. Imagine someone like Robbie Robertson wanting to work on one of your unreleased tracks at that point in your career. You'd bite their hand off, wouldn't you? I love the horns in the middle section, and I really like the production on this song to the point that I actually wonder what the album would have sounded like with production from Robbie Robertson for the whole project, You know, especially if it had been that sort of Southern Accents project. My spidey senses tell me he would have found a way to cohere the more fragmented sounds and arrangements into something a little closer to a more natural sounding whole. For me, the best of everything is a strong closer. It's one of those gentle ballads that Tom became really adept at writing. So I'm going to give it a rock solid 7 out of 10. But I would say that without that lead line on the horns in that intro passage, and you know, that's repeated a couple times more throughout the song, I'd probably bump it to an 8. There's just something about that sonically that I just, I don't love it. It dates it slightly, I think. There's also a live version from the 1980 Damn the Torpedoes tour that includes the extra verse and is introduced by Tom as being a new song that hasn't been recorded yet. This version features the more traditional arrangement that you'd expect from the Heartbreakers with Ben Mont playing an organ part that would essentially be replaced by the horns that Robbie Robertson included on the final mix. 
It also doesn't have that horn intro line and swings a little more toward that country line that, again, may have suited Southern accents. Um, I'll leave a link to this performance in the episode notes so that you can give it a listen. Please continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine. Um, you can do that in all sorts of different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you do have the means. Again, as always, the link to the Red Cross donation page is in the episode notes, and I'll continue to leave that there until this crisis is over. Uh, the Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check them out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet, and you'll find my other podcast there, uh, Seaside Pod Review, which is a podcast dedicated to the music of Queen. Um, I'm sure you'll find something else you like in the network too. They're very good people doing wonderful work, and we're adding new members all the time. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. You can also find me on YouTube at The Tom Petty Project. So follow, like, subscribe, all those things. Leave a review, leave a rating, all the, you know, I keep, I say this every week. You're sick of hearing it, aren't you? Anyway, um, keep talking to me on social media. That's one of the best parts of my day is when someone leaves me a note or a funny little quip or, or even better when someone sort of puts me on something I hadn't seen before, um, a, a different take or a live performance, whatever it might be. Don't forget that the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit official streaming platforms, your Amazon Primes, your Apple Music, your Spotify's, all those places. Um, and you know what? Hey, go to your local record store and buy a record. Go buy a CD, go buy a tape cassette, go, go buy music. Music on things that you put into something else to listen to. It's a good thing you should do this more people. Um, don't forget to go check out uh, the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member. They're wonderful fan communities, and they're well worth hanging out in. If you're looking for merchandise, of course, go to TomPetty.com. Um, and if you want sort of unofficial merchandise or stuff that's not branded Petty as such, but it's sort of um, uh, designed in homage to some of the things that Tom said or wrote or the situations that he and the band got into, um, you can head over to uh, TomPettyProject.com, and you can find my store there. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Uh, stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week uh, to share with you my conversation with Michael Washburn, the author of the 33 and a third book that covers Southern accents. Bye-bye. <laughs>